You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Welcome to the How to Win podcast. Uh, My name is LP. I will be standing in for Pastor Mike Moore. Pastor Mike Moore, right now, this is uh, him and Miss Kanitha Moore's anniversary. So we want to say happy anniversary to them. Yay! And um, we thank God for them. We appreciate them. And they get the opportunity to relax and kind of do their thing. And um, I'm grateful for this opportunity uh, to uh, be able to share a few things. And I believe that today's message is really, really, really going to bless you. Um, I am going to be teaching on the process of the idea of black inferiority, the process of the idea of black inferiority. Um, There was a book that was written, um, it's called Brainwash, Challenging the Myth of Black Inferiority by Tom Burrell. And he explains how the world have been sold a bill of goods and it's the idea that black people are inferior. And it's been a propaganda campaign that have taken place that have conditioned the minds of all peoples, not just black people, all peoples, to believe the idea of black inferiority. And so uh, I want to jump right into uh, my message by uh, quoting a scripture that I I, I got the opportunity to hear. Uh, When I first got to Faith Chapel back in 2003, I went into the bookstore and I found a lot of things that Pastor Mike had been teaching. He had taught on the black presence in the Bible. He taught on racism in the church. And uh, I can remember uh, he quoted this particular scripture and it jumped out at me. And I've been I thought about it ever since. It's Job uh, chapter 13, uh, verse two. It says, what you know, I also know I am not inferior to you. This is Job 13, 2. He said, I am not inferior to you. So let's jump into this message and uh, define our terms. We're talking about um, the process of the idea of black inferiority. So let's look at the definition of an idea. An idea is a thought or suggestion as to a possible course of action. An idea is a thought or suggestion as to a possible course of action, all right? Let's look at the word inferiority. Inferiority, it is the condition of being lower in status or quality than another or others. The condition of being lower in status or quality than than another or others. Let's look at... um, the definition of an inferiority complex because with these ideas of inferiority and the things that have been presented to us that have conditioned the minds of people, um, a lot of people have inherited the concept of an inferiority complex. An inferiority complex occurs when the feeling through discouragement or failure Those who are at risk of developing a complex include people who show signs of low self-esteem or self-worth, have low socioeconomic status, or have a history of depression symptoms. Wow. Now, these ideas have been communicated 
to humanity uh, through something that is called propaganda. All right. Now, let's look at the definition of propaganda. Propaganda is information, especially of a biased or misleading nature used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. Propaganda is also the widespread of information, facts, arguments, rumors, half-truths, or lies to influence public opinion. Wow. So we're going to hear a lot about propaganda um, in this this particular message. So I want to read a quote uh, from W.E.B. Du Bois. He said, but in the propaganda against the Negro since emancipation in this land, we face one of the most stupendous efforts the world ever saw to discredit human beings, an effort involving universities, history, science, social life, and religion. Did you hear what that said? Universities, history, science, social life, and religion. We, we've kind of been hit on every side when it comes to uh, the propaganda campaign uh, that the world have been exposed to uh, creating this idea of black inferiority. I want to look at um, in the 1700s. It said, in the 1700s, Thomas Jefferson's note on the state of Virginia, he wrote, blacks are inferior in the endowments of both of body and mine. Now, keep in mind, he said this five years after he wrote, all men are created equal. <laughs> this respected opinion justified and it legitimized slavery. That's crazy. So we move on to the 1800s. In the 1800s, once slaveholders succeeded in branding blacks as inferior, they created subcategories, each with its own stereotypical brand story. So we're going to look at some of these, these, these characters and these characters were, they were the Coons. The Coons was the, you know, the comedian that, you know, uh, tried to be acceptable in the sight of master. And, you know, he, he acted like he had it all together, but he was just being mocked and laughed at in his efforts. Uh, the Toms, we all know the concept of the Toms, uh, the Bucks, you know, or the brute, you know, that's the big bad, urgh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, you had the mammies, you know, that's the mammies, the, you know, the, the, the mammy, she took care of everybody, you know, that's the images we saw with the auntie mama, with the, uh, the bandana turned backwards, you know, you know, all that. The pickaninnies, that's the little babies, the little, and, and, and you had the Jezebels. Now, all of these images, they were painted in blackface and they were promoted and pushed in the media. Uh, so people would see black people in an image that would be considered inferior. And so all of these different things. So I want you to pay attention. We're going to talk about this later on, uh, the buck or the brute and the Jezebels. OK, I want we want to talk about them. But before we go into that, I want to share a few other things, information that was presented in the 1800s that created this idea of black inferiority. The French aristocrat and writer Arthur de Gobino uh, is best known for his book, An Essay on the Inequality of the Human Races. 
This book, it, it, this essay, it proposed three human races, black, white, and yellow, were natural barriers and claimed that race mixing would lead to the collapse of culture and civilization. He claimed that the white race originally possessed the monopoly on beauty, intelligence, and strength, and that any positive accomplishments or thinking of blacks and Asians were due to an admixture with whites. His works were praised by many white supremacist American pro-slavery thinkers. Now, now when, when, when individuals would hear information like this, this would, com this would cause their thinking to say, hey, I am superior to these people and these people are inferior. They are indeed inferior. So it caused fear. It, you know, the information that he shared that if there was a, a race mixing, this would cause our whole culture to collapse. So this would, this is what fueled a lot of the, 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 the hatred toward black people and things of that nature. It was all due to this process of the idea of black inferiority. A German scientist and politician named Karl Vogt, he believed that the Negro race was related to the ape. He wrote the white race was a separate species to Negroes. In chapter seven of his Lectures of Man in 1864, he compared the Negro to the white race whom he described as two extreme human types. The difference between them, he claimed, are greater than those between the two species of apes. And this proves that Negroes are separate species from whites. These are more ideas that fueled the idea of black inferiority. In this time, there was a, a, a implementation of a use of code words because the desire to not be overt in certain communication about blacks, code words would be implemented in which people would know who was being talked about in certain communications. Some of these code words were feeble-minded, imbecile, sexually immoral. Um, Margaret Sanger, she was a, a, a woman who uh, was, a, it, they, she was heavy on the concept of eugenics. And eugenics is about, you know, basically weeding out bad gene pool and keeping good positive stock of humanity. And she referred to black people as being human weeds. And these are some of the cold words that will be spewed and talked about um, that would cause people to feel a certain way about another group of people. Uh, we was able to see that recently in the 90s when certain cold words and buzzwords uh, were thrown out there um, about African-Americans and these cold words were utilized to, um, we're going to talk about that when we get later on and in, 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 I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me slow down. So moving into the 20th century, the pseudoscience of eugenics and social Darwin, Darwinism was used to justify experimental exploitation and poor medical treatment of blacks and the view 
that they were biologically inferior, oversexed, and unfit for adult responsibilities. Um, during that time, you know, there were different um, scientists and doctors and things of that nature that because of this idea of black inferiority, uh, they would operate, you know, on uh, black people and, you know, wouldn't, there was no numbing or anything like that. And they would do certain procedures. And, you know, because they felt that these people were inferior, they were not, they were not even human. They felt that they can do things like that. And I, I want to read something that came from a book. Um, it was a quote from one of the doctors of that day. It said, even a cursory glance at the charts, photographs, and diagrams used to popularize popularize eugenic ideas revealed that the unfit were swarthy, black and ugly by Anglo-Saxon standards, with flattened noses, wiry hair, and prognothous profiles. In other words, saying that the face, facial structure was protruding at the bottom, you know, with the image that you see with the big extended lips and, you know, things of that nature. And so it, because of this, there were a lot of different experimentations that were done on black people for no other reason. But because, again, they felt that these people were inferior. They're not even human. So this is the reason why things were able to be done uh, from the book of Medical Apartheid, the dark history of medical experimentation on black Americans from colonial times to present by Harriet Washington, um, it's, it, there was something that she said, aside from exposing the many atrocities against black bodies, one of the most important things this book does is give context to the common idea that black people are scared of medicine and doctors. Medicine and doctors. It's called iatrophobia which is the fear of doctors and medical treatment. After reading this book, you will come to understand why the black community fears going to the doctor. You know how we talk about how, you know, especially black men, you know, uh, when they feel certain things and they don't want to go to the doctor, it's because that came from, a lot of that stuff is in our DNA because of our ancestors' experiences, because of the things when a lot of them would be operated on. You know, I, I, it's something something that I'm trying to break out of. Anytime, you know, they have to draw blood from me or something like that, you know, you, you come to me with that needle talking about, hey, what's your blood type? I'm going to say, man, my blood type is IB positive. They'd be like, what is that? IB positive, you ain't finna stick me with that needle. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I cannot stand needles. Whenever, the, you know, they finna drop blood from me, man, I'm just like, I don't, I, I didn't understand where that came from. You know, I'm like, I just, I just freeze up and I'm just like, Ugh! you know, a lot of those things, that stuff is encoded in our DNA because of stuff that was passed on, you know, passed on trauma, trauma that had been passed down. And so as a result, many of us experience a lot of those things. And this is the reason why a lot of black people don't want to go to the doctor a lot of times. And as a res result, we experience some certain challenges and end up, you know, things happening that could have been dealt with early if we would have just went to the doctor. But because of a lot of these things that happened to us in the past, that's where a lot of that stuff come from. Now, I want to look at... Um, uh, uh, some more um, 
information uh, from a particular book uh, that was written in 1944. It's called An American Dilemma, The Negro Problem, and Modern Democracy. An American Dilemma, American Dilemma, The Negro Problem, and Modern Democracy. Now, if, if, if for all my X-Men people out here and, and people that like to watch Marvel, if you can remember when uh, the X-Men, when the, on the first movie that they pre put out there, there was this big conference where they were discussing what they were gonna do with these mutants. And they were talking about the mutant problem. And they had discussions pertaining to the mutant problem and the dilemma that they were in dealing with these mutants. Read between the lines and go back and watch the series and you're going, you're, it's going to be mind blown. But anyway, <laughs> uh, this book was a study of race relations authored uh, by um, Gunnar Madral. His name is Gunnar Madral. And Madral believed he saw a vicious cycle in which whites oppress blacks and then pointed to blacks' poor performance as reason for the oppression. The way out of this cycle, he argued, was to either cure whites of the prejudice he believed existed or to improve the circumstances of blacks, which would then disprove whites' preconceived notions. Madral called this process the principle of cumulation. Now, this is this is uh, something that a lot of people are struggling with because it, it, it puts people in a dilemma, you know, because if we deal with this issue, you know, it's going to reprove our thoughts and our beliefs about these people. So it's like we're in a dilemma. What do we do? You get what I'm saying? So, you know, this is something to give you an idea on why certain things are being presented in media about us and why certain people aren't saying anything about it and why. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's about having an understanding of certain things. Now, let's look at the, the 1900s and, you know, the, the black inferiority campaigns as they continue through Hollywood. Everybody say Hollywood. All right. Now, there was a movie. There was a movie uh, in the early 1900s called The Birth of a Nation. Uh, this was a pro-KKK movie that justified slavery, increased the fear of blacks, and helped to fuel an epidemic of lynchings. After this movie came out, which the movie, it presented all of these negative images of black people. Uh, it was, you know, the, the actors, they were white people, they were in blackface, and they presented these negative images of black people uh, being sexual tyrants, trying to rape white women, and the white woman running away from the brood and showing that angry blacks sitting around eating fried chicken and stuff like that. All of these things created a lot of the stereotypical images and this caused a lot of fear among whites. And as a result, it caused a lot of lynchings to take place as a result of these ideas that were presented in media. And so these are a lot of the things that we have had to constantly fight against these ideas. Movies like Gone with the Wind and Casablanca, they cast blacks in subservient, brutish, or buffoonish roles. Cartoons even perpetuated the stereotypes also. 
I can remember when I was a kid, I remember uh, there was a particular, we used to watch Tom and Jerry. And I can remember uh, Tom and Jerry, they had, you know, Mammy Two-Shoes who would be walking around. She would have her slippers. You could see her, her little black feet walking around. And, you know, and she would, she would, I can remember she was telling Tom to get out. She said, Tom, now you get out. O-U-W-T, out. <laughs> I'm like, wow, why she spelled it like that? You know what I'm saying? But images like that would present the idea of black people being inferior, black people being dumb, you know, things of that nature. All of these things, we our minds were being conditioned by these images. And so um, now when we get to the late 60s, uh, there was a change, you know. Uh, black Americans saw themselves as beautiful and unique. Going into the 70s, new advertisements from Black-owned agencies begin to promote positive, natural images of Black people with their afros and, you know, showing, you know, positive images of Black people and things of that nature. Black entertainment, Black entertainers blazed new trails and gained mainstream audiences, but unmistakable barriers still remained. In the midst of that, we were given something called black exploitation films. Now, in these black exploitation films, um, you know, like Superfly, Black Caesar, Dolomite, Which Way Is Up, Car Wash, these films in this period unfortunately trumped the period of black pride by updated, exploitable stereotypes. Now, let me bring some balance. Now, these movies perpetuated racist black stereotypes, such as the Buck or the Jezebel. Remember those two, the Buck and the Jezebel. But they were the first films in which black characters and communities are the heroes and subjects of films in television, rather than sidekicks, villains, or victims of brutality. See, when, when, when black people, are, if, if, if they constantly have seen negative images of, of themselves being uh, the villain and images of themselves uh, being victims of brutality, whenever they watch Superfly and they saw at the end, whenever the, 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 the cop came at him and he beat the cop up and, you know, everybody, like, yeah, you know, because, you know, all of these things. Uh, they were seen, you know, seeing Shaft as a hero, you know, who is the man, you know. He's a bad, shut your mouth. You know what I'm saying? All them images, you know, seeing Shaft in the opening scene where he walk across the street, the busy intersection, he walk across the street like he big and bad. And it's like, oh, my God, man, did you see Shaft? You know, all of these gave a sense of pride, even though the imagery that accomp accompanied it was, were negative images that solidified stereotypes of the pimp. And the hustler showing that this is what black men were all about, who didn't care about their women. They were pimping their women. And, you know, and definitely during that time when drugs begin to uh, be poured into our communities, you know, you seen Superfly, you know, he unscrewed that thing and he, he tooted that. And he, man, that looked so cool. And I know a lot of older brothers who have told me that in their obs observation of Superfly, they wanted to be just like Superfly. They wanted to snort cocaine just like Snoop of Superfly. They wanted to be a pimp and fly just like Superfly. So a lot of these things erased, and it, it, it totally trumped the positive imagery 
that we were getting in the 60s and early 70s. Now, we was able to get uh, images like uh, Good Times, you know, which showed black people, they were poor, but they were family and they were together. But a lot of people don't know that they fought against that idea of having a father in the home. They didn't want the father in that, and they pushed and they got the father in the home. But as time passed on, they pushed against it, and guess what they had to do? They had to push the father out of there, and they that's whenever they killed James Evans off, and, you know, you remember, <laughs> you know that, that was... A sad episode, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, you know, these are some of the things that we were subject to in media in the eight, in the 70s. Now, we get to the 80s, and in the early 80s, uh, we were given a, 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 another movie. Now, a lot of people going to get mad at me when I say this. Now, I love this movie, and I, I still watch it to this day, but it set us back a little bit. The movie Color Purple, you know what I'm saying? Now, Color Purple, it was... It, show this image of that cause you to hate black men when you've seen a lot of these negative images and things of that nature of what to what what they were presenting you know what I'm saying and Steven Spielberg he is the one who produced and made that and you know he's a master illusionist so he was able to bring that image you know what I'm saying and really 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 get to us you know now you know so um but again I love that movie that's my movie I love it color purple I love it you know what I'm saying but we got to think about the negative images. A lot of people don't know, but the conscious community was boycotting and coming against that movie back in the early 80s because of the images that it was going to present, you know. Um, but things were going on up and up, right? We got the Cosby Show. Now, when they gave us the Cosby Show, the Cosby Show, that was a, man, that was a plus for us as a community, as a culture. Everybody loved the Cosby Show. Bill Cosby or Heathcliff Huxtable was America's dad. I mean, not just the dads for just black people. He was America's dad. Everybody. He he was daddy for everybody. You get what I'm saying? And all these images of a black doctor married to a black attorney, and they had beautiful children, and Heathcliff Huxtable taught his children and instructed his children, and, 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 and every other episode... He showcased sweaters with HBCUs on it and all of these positive images. And from there, we got a different world. And a different world was when his daughter went off to college and it was about uh, an HBCU experience. And you had all of these different ideologies uh, and positive imagery in these HBCUs. And during that time, education among black people went up. Black people started going to college. Enrollment for HBCUs went up. All of that was happening during that time. We even got a TV show called Family Matters. If y'all can remember Family Matters, it was all about Family Matters. Carl, the middle-class husband, he was in law enforcement. He was a positive cop, and he showed us what positivity looked like as a policeman and all of these different things in the family structure, how, you know, if family members were on hard times, we banded together, and we allowed them to come in and live with us. And, you know, you had Steve Urkel, and, you know what I mean, he was the the the, the nerd uh, neighbor, but they embraced him and loved on him, too, and all that other good stuff. Now... We had all these positive things. Not only that, the hip hop became conscious. We had artists like uh, Poor Righteous Teachers. We had KRS-One. If y'all can remember, in 1988, we got the song Self-Destruction. You know, you remember that? Self-Destruction. Well, today's topic, Self-Destruction. It really ain't the rap audience that's bugging. There's one or two suckers, ignorant brothers, trying to rob and steal from one another. You got caught in the midst. So to crush that stereotype, here's what we did. 
did. We got ourselves together so that we could unite and fight for what's right, not negative cause. The way we live is positive. We don't kill our relatives. You know what I'm saying? So we had that and you know, that song had all the hip hop artists that we loved that, that they came together and they presented positive imagery. After that, we even, it, there was peer pressure on NWA. They had to do positive images. And they, they did the song, uh, Express Yourself. Go back, Express Yourself. Listen to that song. You know what I'm saying? Even Dr. Dre, you remember, remember he said, uh, he said, even if yellow makes it acapella, I still express that I don't smoke weed or cess because it's known to give a brother brain damage and brain damage on the mic don't manage nothing but making a sucker and you equal. Don't be another sequel. You know what I'm saying? You had N.W.A giving positive lyrics. And then after that, we had Fight the Power. And then after that, the West Coast, they came together, all the West Coast artists, they gave us the song, We All In The Same Gang. Y'all remember that? They even had Easy e on there doing some conscious lyrics. <laughs> Easy e you know? And, then, and man, I'm telling you, but unfortunately, with all that positive imagery and all that positive energy going on, we were brought up real high. But then they took all that positive information out of the media. They took uh, 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 the Cosby show, you know, it became dysfunctional, showing dysfunctional images of the family. You know, um, when you look at uh, Family Matters, it was no longer about Family Matters. It was just all about laughing at Steve Urkel. You know what I'm saying? It was, and, and, and we were introduced to the gang culture that was taking place in certain pockets of this country by a movie called Colors. Colors, that spread the gang culture all over the country where everybody started claiming sets and becoming, you know, coming in gangs and stuff like that. Then after that, they gave us a movie called New Jack City. Now, New Jack City, you know, those images in there where you had Nino Brown, he was the, the top dog. He took a whole project building and, and made it to a, a location where you can come, where he controlled it and owned it, and you can come and you can get your drugs there. And then shortly after that, they gave us Boys in the Hood, and Boys in the Hood gave us a whole lot of negative imagery. Now, watch this. I will say this. A lot of people don't understand, but these movies, they had a positive message to it. If you go back and watch those movies, they had a positive message. But because of the imagery that was being presented in those movies, we gravitated to that negative imagery and we began to duplicate what we saw in those images. And not only that, those from other groups, people groups, they looked at these movies and they looked at these videos and they said, that's how they are. It was used as a propaganda tool. Again, it, it had a positive message. Positive message. Go back and watch the message. But the imagery, because of the stereotypes that we've been locked into, it was used as propaganda to say, that's how they are. And then we looked at it and said, that's how we are. And that's when the crack epidemic went through the roof. Everybody and their mama was on crack. Everybody and their mama was selling crack. And all of these images said, this is an opportunity for us. That's whenever people begin to come into our communities and people going to jail by the droves on a consistent basis. You remember during that time and, you know, uh, whenever those three strike laws came and the crime bill was signed and all that other stuff, man, people was going to jail like it ain't. I'm talking about. But here's the thing. 
In the book, The New Jim Crow, um, by Michelle Alexander, she confirmed that during that time, a lot of the black people, a mass majority of the black people that were getting locked up, they were getting picked up on minor drug charges. They may have had a little cocaine or something like that. They may have had a little weed or something like that. They were getting caught on a consistent basis because they were doing something. They were dealing with what was called low-hanging fruit. So if you were out and you fit the image of what have been seen on television, you will consider low-hanging fruit. Many of us, because during that time we had our cars, we had trues and vogues on our cars with the big reels and the rims and the gold Daytons and, you know what I'm saying, 120s folk Ds and all that other stuff, that was causing us to be, hey, look at us. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, those were the low-hanging fruit, and people was getting caught up and throwing it, and that's when the mass incarceration thing began to take place. Um, 1993 was the apex when they gave us menace to society. At that time, the crime rate reached the highest that crime had ever been in American history. It was at the highest point that it had ever been. Matter of fact, it was 50% higher than what it is today. Wow, 50% higher than what it is today. On the heels of this media propaganda, the age of mass incarceration began. Now, when we get to the 2000s, this whenever the whole trap music thing came about, where the trap music and the, you know, uh, you know, everybody was, they were trappers and they sold drugs and they sold cocaine. And, and in the process of that, there were code words that were developed uh, about cocaine. And they had certain rappers who would make their music and make their songs and they would put all of the code words in the music. And so with them putting all the code words for cocaine and crack and things like that, with them putting the cocaine, I mean, excuse me, the code words in the music, if y'all remember during that time, that's when we had the next tail chirp, you know, the in the boost mode with chirp, where we would communicate like it was like a walkie talkie. And people were throwing those cold words through the boost mode chirp in the next tail chirp. But guess what? They had intelligence that were tapping into these boost mobile chirps and they were finding out who was saying what and what they who you get what I'm saying? And as a result, people was getting locked up by the droves during that time, getting locked up by the droves. Everybody was selling crack, everybody was selling cocaine, everybody was promoting that image, and they were everybody was trappers. And as a result, that image, that propaganda was being utilized to say, this is who we are, this is who they are. That's what was what was taking place. Now, I want to, uh, I'm coming, I'm shortly at a close. Um, I want to say this hip-hop music promoting uh, drug usage, drug distribution, and also promoting sexual exploits of men and women. We all know that, you know, in, our, in the, the, the songs that we love, the songs that we listen to and we buy our heads to, is laced with all that information. And with all that information being presented to the world, that information is being used as propaganda saying, this is who they are, and we saying, this is who we are. Not everybody didn't connect with that, but a lot of people did. So don't come to me with the, hey, no, no, LP, I disagree with that because I listened to all the gangster rap and I never killed nobody and I never sold drugs. That's you. 
And that's your story. <laughs> but you can't say the same for everybody else. You get what I'm saying? So we, we, we're dealing with this, this whole concept of the stereotype. Now, uh, <clears throat> throughout that period of time, it was promoting the sexual exploits of men. Also, I want to focus on that. The sexual exploits of men. You can remember a lot of the songs where we talked about, you know, we don't love these blanks and you know what I'm saying bees ain't nothing but blanks and blanks and you know what I'm saying I don't love them I don't need them I'll take advantage of them and never feed them you know what I'm saying you know MOB money over you know what I'm saying all of these different things we talked about our exploits toward women and how much we devalued women and things of that nature now let's look at today current transition of hip hop music is promoting the sexual exploits of women Wow. Wow. My, look at how the tables have turned. You have women rapping about how they are exploiting men sexually and how they're getting men high and taking advantage of them and robbing them. And you know what I'm saying? How they do certain things to men from a sexual aspect and they're able to get favors in return and things of that nature. This is this is taking place. Now, I want to read about this particular um, stereotypical image. Remember, I talked about uh, the, the, the Jezebel. And I talked about, uh, the brute, you know what I'm saying? So when you look at the brute or the, the Mandingo, you get what I'm saying? Uh, it, it, it was, he was, he was presented as a sexual exploiter, uh, conditioned to be a stud with an internalized brutish nature animalizes, dehumanizes, and objectifies and views women as objects of unworthy or unworthy of long-term commitment. These images of black men uh, were being presented, you know, in our culture. And we turned around and we operated according to that based off of the information that we had taken in. Now, now I want to talk about the Jezebel stereotype. The Jezebel stereotype is she is of the sexually uh, promiscuous black woman. Uh, she was the counter image of the Victorian lady in every way. The idea stem from Europeans first encounter with semi nude women in tropical Africa. The African practices of polygamy was attributed to uncontrolled lust and tribal dances were construed as pagan orgies in contrast to the good European Christianity. Now, this right here is where this imagery, when they came and they saw the women, you know, it's hot, you know what I'm saying? So, and people, you know, they had body parts out with these body parts were only used and focused on for the sake of feeding their children. You know, it wasn't about from a sexual aspect. And, and because all of these different things, what they saw about this woman, this was something that was used in future times during slavery to where she could be taken advantage of from a sexual aspect and there would be no guilt. Because after all, you know, this is, you get what I'm saying? That, that, that come from imagery. So, as we let's 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 look at the historical roots of of these different things. We, we, excuse me, we looked at the historical roots, but so when we look at the historical roots of the the black buck or the brute, it says black male black black male slaves were brainwashed to see themselves as studs, 
They were rarely allowed to form relationships that they could control. This created an ambivalent love-hate relationship between black men and black women. Also, when it came to the Jezebel image, it, it, it you know, it, this, this right here, um, the historical roots behind that is the black female slave was always treated as a sexual object, told that she had nothing to offer but her body, and she had no control over who raped or exploited her. She couldn't afford to connect her sexuality with her emotions. Wow. Wow. She couldn't, listen to that, she couldn't afford to connect her sexuality with her emotions. There was a conversation about uh, some particular imagery that was put out with some artists or whatever, and a lot of people were very upset about the imagery and things of that nature. But what I'm trying to help everybody to understand is throughout this process of creating the idea of black inferiority, a lot of people who were seeing these different exploitations, exploitations taking place, they involved, involved themselves and they participated in it for no other reason but for a survival method, a survival mechanism. During a time whenever they were doing the minstrel shows and black people were painting in blackface and had the red and white line around their lips and acted crazy and acted stupid and acted dumb and all this other stuff, this was being done because they were going to get paid. You had a lot of people who were poor, and this was an opportunity for them to take care of themselves. It was a, a survival strategy. So when you look at today's hip hop, you know, like myself, I'm an artist and, and I've always promoted positive lyrics. I've always promoted lyrics about God and lyrics about positivity and things of that nature. And as a result, unfortunately, you know, there hadn't been a lot of ah, promotion in the forefront from a, a, a financial standpoint. You understand? But for the individual that says, I'm trying to survive, I need to make some money. They will be willing to get in their music and talk about the drugs that they sell, even though they never sold drugs. Talk about the people that they're killing, even though they never killed nobody. Talking about, and they'll be, they'll be willing to do that because they will be promoted and they will make money doing it. You get what I'm saying? It's a survival strategy. And so whenever you look at these sisters doing these things and putting themselves out there like that, a lot of times this is a survival strategy because if I do this, I'm going to make money. One of the artists made a, com a comment talking about how everybody was upset with her because she put out this negative imagery of her with no clothes on and talking about certain things or whatever. She said, well, what about all of the positive artists that's out there? It's positive female artists that's talking about consciousness. Y'all don't stream them. Y'all don't listen to her music. Y'all don't pull up her music. But look at all the streams I got. You get what I'm saying? So here's the issue. We have to make a conscious decision to no longer feed into the propaganda machine. And in order for us to do that, we have to have an understanding of certain things. The scripture tells us, and I'll let you go after this, in Proverbs 4, uh, verse 7 through 9, it says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, talking about understanding and wisdom, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. 
She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory. She will deliver to you. That's the end of my message. Um, I hope uh, y'all was able to get something out of this. I hope you were encouraged. I hope you got understanding and knowledge from this. And uh, I appreciate everybody from tuning in. God bless.